Proverbs 21, verse 2. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. Our relationship with Jesus, it's a two-way street. There's a fellowship between believers and Jesus that is very real and on occasion may manifest itself in a very tangible way, such as a prayer request that's kind of a long shot being answered or circumstances where something happens and you know this could only be God. I've had several of those. And as we continue to yield to him and believe, he continues to have fellowship with us and keep his reality fresh in our minds. But many times in our lives, we drift from that fellowship back into the flesh or our old natural selves apart from the Holy Spirit's influence, and we find ourselves back in that place of worldliness again. And this kind of summarizes the entire Old Testament. And God reveals himself to a new generation. They believe and he blesses them. Then when things are going good, the devil creeps in and tempts them with all sorts of wickedness. And ultimately, this new godly generation becomes spiritually dull. And as time goes on, they rebel more and more against God until they are enslaved back in sin. And why? Because they were doing what was right in their own eyes. That's the theme of the book of Judges. Proverbs 14, verse 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. And that's humanity's story. We rely on our own thinking and trust in our own ability to discern and predict the future, but really we're fooling ourselves because we cannot tell what our future long-term or immediate holds for us. I was at the gym and on one of the TVs, there was a program about a man who was pretty famous in the sports world and things were going really well for him and boom, cancer. And where do we look when the rug is pulled out from under us and we're lying flat on our back? Simple, look up. But sadly, that seems to be the last place we look until there is no other option. The Israelites, or the Jews, were the descendants of Abraham's grandson Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel in Genesis 32, 28, where it says, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And the story of the Jews, documented from creation in Genesis 1 up to about 400 years before Christ, is filled with God's promises and Israel's obedience and disobedience toward those promises. And probably the most recognizable promise in the Old Testament is the promised land, which is still a source of international contention today. That's the land of Israel. God put his name on that land and promised that land to Abraham, to his son Isaac, and to his son Jacob, and Jacob's descendants, who are the Jews. And he said, you're going to inhabit this land, but he put conditions on it. They had to do it God's way, or otherwise they would be expelled from the land. And God was faithful to his promises. And as the nation obeyed, God blessed them. And as they rebelled, he ended up booting them out of the land twice. And it first occurred in the north where the ten tribes of Israel and all of their territories allotted to them by Joshua were taken captive by the Assyrian king in Second Kings chapter 15, verse 29. The north had went totally off the rails and basically replaced God's immutable law with their own version of the law, which was right in their own minds. And this is known in the Old Testament as the sin of Jeroboam in First Kings 13, 34 and other places. They booted out the law and they made their own crazy law. And then the southern tribes did basically the same thing as far as their rebellion goes. They didn't learn from the north and they were carted off to Babylon by the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. And the book of Jeremiah tells this story leading up to the captivity. And the book of Daniel also refers to these events. And this was a judgment from God declared for 70 years through Jeremiah. And it really taught the Israelites a lesson about worshiping foreign gods and their idols. And when they returned, as God had foretold in Isaiah 45 by the hand of the Persian king Cyrus, 
whom God named personally in the book of Isaiah, written several hundred years earlier. So a remnant of Israel returned to the land recorded in Ezra and Nehemiah and began rebuilding Jerusalem and the temple. So as Ezra, a priest and highly revered man of Israel, even to this present day, gathered a group of those captives and made their way home to Israel, finally after 70 years of captivity, what does he find upon his arrival? Ezra chapter 9 verse 1. After these things had been done, the officials approached me, this is as we're talking, and said, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands with their abominations, from the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. And that was a problem in the beginning. That's what they didn't do. They intermingled with these people. That caused them to go into all kinds of craziness, which ultimately God gave them the boot over. Verse 2. For they have taken some of their daughters to be wives for themselves and for their sons, which was prohibited by law, so that the holy race has mixed itself with the peoples of the land. And in this faithlessness, the hands of the officials and chief men have been foremost. In other words, the leaders are the worst at doing this. As soon as I heard this, I tore my garment and my cloak and pulled hair from my head and beard and sat appalled. So Ezra snaps a gasket over this issue, because after 70 years of judgment, God allows them to begin to reestablish their country, and the first thing they do is to go right back into that which had caused all the issues in the first place. They simply were doing what was right in their own eyes, and they fell right back into rebellion immediately. And the Apostle Paul, a man very familiar with the scroll of Ezra, no doubt, he would experience this as well, as he labored 18 months in that really jacked up city of ancient Corinth. And then he finds out what the believers there are doing that seemed right in their own mind. So much so, he has to write a pretty scathing letter to them, tuning them up. And one thing among many that was going on is recorded in 1 Corinthians 5.1, where Paul says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans, for a man has his father's wife. Are you arrogant? Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in my body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I've already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So in this raunchy city, there was a guy in the church who was loving on his stepmom in the wrong way. And Paul remarks that even the pagans don't do this. And here you are allowing this guy to hang out in church, get rid of him until he repents. And they would obey Paul, and they gave the guy the boot, but when the guy repents and wants to come back, they won't let him back. Why? Because it seemed right in their own eyes. So Paul, in his second letter, tells them, look, let him come back because he has repented, and reaffirm your love for him in chapter 2, verse 8. The guy got it right with the Lord, and even though he's a putz, bring him back into the fold and show God's love and mercy to him. And that's a good lesson for us. To my knowledge, we have only booted one guy from our church in the nearly 30 years I've been there. And there may have been more, but I was only aware of one. And he was totally off the rails. But he repented and came back. And when he came back, we all welcomed him and affirmed our love for him. Why? Because we're super nice people? No, because we know our Bibles and understand God wants us to share in the process of reconciliation when a believer comes to their senses. We're to reconcile and bring them back into the fold. We want them to repent, just like God wants us to repent. So we firmly believe in Proverbs 3 verse 5, 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Leaning on our own understanding or doing what is right in our own eyes, it doesn't please God and it doesn't bring about the righteousness of God. People look at us like we're idiots, which a lot of times we are. So trusting in the Lord with all of our heart and not leaning on our own understanding is totally contrary to doing what is right in our own eyes. And it puts God back in the driver's seat so we don't, like so many have and still do, go off the rails and make a mess of our lives. Trusting God in His Word, that's what believing means. So when the scriptures say believe in the Lord, it actually involves a total trust in Him and His Word. It's a narrow and difficult road, but that's where we experience the presence of God in our lives. Doing what is right in our own eyes may seem good at the time, but that's not the way that leads to life in Christ. Rather, it leads into a spiritual lethargy than ultimately separation from God, and that's not where we want to be. So go for it. Trust Jesus, learn his word, obeying it even when it's tough, and you'll see the hand of God moving in your life, building up your faith and preparing you for eternity. Hebrews 10, 23 Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.